Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. We're diving into a brand new series today, but before I introduce that to you, I just want to take a moment and tell you about a great opportunity that's coming up next Sunday and the following Sunday. Um, Most of you, if you've been at the Movement Church for any amount of time, you know that we have a church campus, a Movement Church campus in Otondwini, Swaziland. And okay, that's worth getting excited about, you guys. How amazing. They, they already met this morning having church out there. And, and the way that that got started is we, we started as a church by building a care point to help feed and take care of so many children there that actually just wouldn't have uh, what they need if it weren't for your generosity and your faithfulness as a church. And so we feed almost 400 kids daily. And, and it might just be the one meal that they get every day. And, and many of you sponsor kids at that specific site. In fact, when we went out there this March, we got to go and visit with our sponsor kids, the ones that we sponsor. And and so maybe you've been at the Movement Church for a while, but you haven't had an opportunity yet to, to jump in and to be a part and to make a difference by sponsoring a child. And, and so I just want to invite you to, to join us and be a part of this team effort that we have going on to help us sponsor some more kids out there in Swaziland. You know, when we were there, there was about 40 kids who show up every single day to that care point. Every single day, they're faithful. And they come and they are learning about Jesus and we're making sure that they get a meal. But a sponsorship does even more than just providing a meal for them. What it does is it provides medical care. It helps make sure that they're getting a uniform so they can go to school. And and it makes a difference in their lives. And so there was about 40 kids and I hugged their sweet little necks that don't have a sponsor yet. They don't have somebody that's praying for them, believing in them, sending them letters. And let me tell you, these kids, they love the letters that they get from you. They treasure them. And so I just want to encourage you. Would you pray about helping sponsor those 40 kids? In fact, the organization we work with, they were like, now, I don't think you'll get all 40 kids sponsored in your church. And we were like, excuse me, you don't know the movement church. I mean, the last time they told us that, we just exceeded their expectations. So I'm just encouraging you. Maybe you sponsor one child and you could, you could do one more. Maybe you haven't jumped in and been a part of that yet. Next Sunday and the following Sunday, partner with us and let's continue making a difference in some lives of these kids over there in Otondwini. All right? You guys with me? All right. <laughs> yeah, that's worth being excited about. You know, this brand new series that we're starting, I'm so excited about. It's called Words. And it's based off of the most important sermon that Jesus ever taught. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And and the Sermon on the Mount, it's just a name that was given to this message that it, it talks about the first programmatic, the first speech, the first thing that Jesus ever really taught. And it's, it's one message that Jesus taught over and over and over again to all of his disciples and to people who would listen. And it was delivered in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And the thing that we find in these chapters is we find words that are spoken. We find lives changed. We find hearts transformed. And this message, it was, it was revolutionary 
In fact, it was a little bit scandalous at the time. It was a message that is, is breathtaking. It's a message that is life-giving. And it teaches God's community what it looks like to live in the midst of a broken world that is waiting on God's redemption. It's what the whole entire thing is about. And theologians actually tell us that this was a collection of all of Jesus' teaching on discipleship. And it deals with the righteousness required of Christ's disciples or Christ's followers, right? It teaches us the way that we're to behave the blessing and the persecution that they'll know as followers of Christ. And it can actually be seen as a manifesto, setting out the nature of what life should look like in the kingdom of God. And some commentaries say that this, this sermon, it was directed specifically to Jesus' disciples. But there was a bunch of crowds that were gathered at the same time. And those crowds that were gathered, they heard his preaching as well. So the, the ethics that Jesus were teaching, was teaching apply specifically to Christ's followers. That, that means us. But the crowds that were gathered, they got to hear and observe and learn what it would be like, what discipleship would look like if they chose to follow Christ. They got to consider what that would look like. And I just... I want to say to you today at the Movement Church, maybe you're here and, and you're just kind of wrestling with faith and you're not sure what you believe. And we, we say this all the time, but at the Movement Church, you have permission to belong before you believe. You might be like the crowds that gathered that were just listening and just observing and just going, okay, what is this all about? And that's great. And I would encourage you to lean in today. But if you're here and you call yourself a Christ follower, I want to challenge you that these words that we're going to be talking about from Jesus are life-changing for you and for me when we put them into action. So can I do this? Can I pray and kick us off this morning? You ready? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, I come before you right now, God, and I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you. I thank you for your message. God, I thank you that your words give us life, that your words point us in the right direction, that your words teach us how to live. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that today that you would just lean in close to every single one of us and help us know what are the areas of our life that we need to surrender to you. And God, I thank you for what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this week in the car, I was taking my kids to celebrate uh, my daughter, Brooklyn. She's on summer vacation. And I, she got out way earlier than everybody else. Come on, yay for summer. I love summer. And, and we were going out to celebrate her last day of school. And so we were going down into Laguna, driving down the PCH. And I don't remember exactly what was happening, but we were just talking and telling stories. And, and my kids were talking. And all of a sudden, Brooklyn looks at me, and she's like, Mom. You're doing a Tootie look right now. Now, Tootie, let me just inform you, is my mom. It's their grandma, okay? That's what we call her. And she goes, you're doing a Tootie look right now. Like, you're nodding your head and pursing your lips. And I was like, I am? I didn't even know that I was doing it. And, and I was just having a moment because, you know, those, those moments where you realize that you're more like your parents than you thought you were. And, and I was having a moment, and, and I was just thinking, man, we pick up so much. I remember when Brooklyn was in kindergarten and I walked around the corner to hear her talking to her friends and she was standing there in her little kindergarten voice and she, she was telling her friends with her finger pointed, that is inappropriate. And I was 
like, what kindergartner says inappropriate? A kindergartner whose mom says inappropriate all the time. I mean, I think if you were to think about growing up and and the home that you lived in, you could probably remember certain things that were said all the time in your home, right? My mom had uh, two sayings specifically that I remember. And one of them went like this, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. That was one of them. And the second one was this, if you don't have anything nice to say, some of you know this, don't say anything at all, right? See, mom, I was listening. (laughs) She listens to all our messages, so I have to give her credit there. As a parent, I've learned that our kids, they're going to emulate and they're going to repeat the things that we do. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Trust me, some of the kids' teachers over there have heard some stories about you. Let me just tell you. But this is, this is influence, right? We have influence in the lives of our kids. And, and the truth is, is you and I, we get to influence people every single day, whether we realize it or not. We are influencing people every single day. People are watching us. And we're created and designed to be people of influence. And so I want to read you this definition of what influence is. I think they're going to have it on the screens here. But influence is the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the actions, behavior, opinions, etc. of others. Listen, we were created to influence, to influence our community, to influence our our world, to influence our, our homes, our families, our friendships, Everyone, we were created for influence, and our lives are going to affect others. So how we live, how we approach life, how we respond to challenges, it will, it will influence those around us. So this book of Matthew that we're picking up in is going to teach us what it looks like to live a life of influence. And there's more teachings in the book of Matthew, more teachings from Jesus than any other gospel. And and the most impactful portion in Matthew is what we're exploring called the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount about what it looks like to have influence. And we're going to pick up, if you have your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. And I just want to introduce to you the very first verse to start out. And it says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Now, we're going to stop right there before we get into anything that Jesus said, because I want you to understand some of the history of this scripture, the history of these verses. There's some clues in here that make us understand the significance of the Sermon on the Mount. See, it says that Jesus began to teach when he had sat down. And in those days, a Jewish rabbi was teaching officially when they sat down. They would often have conversations with people and and influence people and talk and give instruction when they were walking about and, and going through their everyday life. But you knew that the teaching was going to be official when they sat down. So the very fact that Jesus sat down to teach this to his disciples should let you and I know that this is going to be a very important and official teaching. It's something Jesus wants us to get. And Matthew goes on and he says, and when he opened his mouth, he taught them. Now you and I, we hear that and we're thinking, well, that's just a fancy way of saying Jesus said, 
right? But actually, in the Greek, that phrase, when he opened his mouth, it has double significance. When he opened his mouth was a, use in the, a usage in the Greek that, that really gave whatever the person was going to say this grave and solemn and dignified utterance. That's what it meant. And, and it was the, the preface, this weighty preface for, for something that's going to be really meaningful. So when people were going to open up their hearts and they were going to pour out wisdom and knowledge and demonstrate like this, this intimate kind of teaching, they would use that phrase when they opened their mouth. Isn't that interesting? And so what this is telling us is that this Sermon on the Mount is no chance piece of teaching. It's the grave and solemn utterance. It is like the deepest meaning. It is central to all things that Jesus wants to teach his followers. Are you with me? Can you see how important this is? Okay, I want you to get this because we want to apply this to our life. So the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, and some of you are familiar with them, found in Matthew chapter 5, and it talks about the blessings that are available to and available for a Christ follower. And then it continues with Jesus teaching about how to deal with fear, anxiety, lust, divorce, anger, relationships, loving your enemies, generosity, and prayer, and it ends with how to build your life on a strong foundation. And so this, this teaching is really this countercultural way of showing us what it looks like to be a Christ follower. So in Matthew 5, Jesus unpacks the blessings of a Christian, and then he tells his disciples exactly what it's going to look like to be a Christ follower. And in Matthew 5, verse 13, it says this in the message translation. I'm going to start here. It says this, let me tell you why you are here. Okay, so Movement Church, let me tell you why you are here. Are you ready? I'm going to need your help with this. Let me tell you why you're here. Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. And when it comes up on the screen, I'm going to ask for you to read the underlined part with me. So do we have that? Ready? You are the salt of the earth. Listen, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You ready? Read this part with me. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Movement Church, you and I are here to be salt. We're here to be salt, influencing and changing our world for the better. So what is so important about salt? Salt's not very cool in and of itself. So I'm wondering why Jesus said we're to be salt. But see, in ancient times, salt was a necessity for life. Because of its seasoning and preserving qualities, it was one of the most highly prized minerals. In many societies, it was so highly valued that it was used for money. In fact, this is interesting. Our English word salary actually comes from a Latin word, salarium, which refers to payments that were made to Roman officials in salt. And there's this saying that says that they're worth their salt. A good worker is worth their salt. That's where it comes from because salt was so valuable. And what Jesus is telling us is that we are to be salt. 
We're to be salt. He's saying we are the salt that this world needs. So we are kind of like this salt shaker. And we have inside of us the salt. I kept, I kept it closed. Don't worry. The salt that the world needs. And there's a long list of what salt does. It does so many different things. But one of the things that it does is it heals. Have any of you ever had to gargle with salt water? I hate gargling with salt water. I mean, it's, it makes me gag and throw up almost every single time. But man, it does the trick. It heals. It's one of the things that you use to clean out your sinus cavities. If Anybody ever used a neti pot? Those are disgusting. But they're awesome. They really work because salt heals. And so what Jesus was saying when he's telling us that we're to be the salt is he's saying, hey, listen, you are called to alleviate people's distress. You're called to salt bay their life and alleviate their distress. You know, I can think of so many times in my life where people have salt bayed my life and alleviated my distress. I remember when my dad was in the hospital and, and he passed away and, and I had a moment where I just, I didn't even know what to do. But people showed up and it wasn't that they even said anything. It's just that they were there. And they were with me in a moment of distress. I've had moments in ministry where I've felt discouraged and someone has come by and salt bathed my life with words of encouragement that have helped me stay on course. They, they alleviated distress. You know, there's a friend that I have here in the Movement Church, and she was telling me last week, she said, Megan, I have been walking through probably the hardest season of my life. The stuff that I've been having to deal with in this season is overwhelming, but do you know what? My team at church, she's a part of our kids' team, my team at church and my connect group, man, they have come around and they have supported me through every single thing that I've been going through. They've sent me text messages. They've prayed with me. They've been there. You know what she's saying? She's saying that many of you salt bayed her life and alleviated some distress. And this is the thing about salt. We are supposed to be this for people. The other thing that salt does is it adds some flavor, right? It adds some flavor and it makes things better. Does anybody just like to add salt to your, when you go to the restaurant and you get tortilla chips and you're going to enjoy Mexican food, does anybody else just continue adding salt to the chips? Yes, because salt makes things better. It makes things better. And our life as a Christ follower should not be dull and lifeless. It shouldn't be. So I want you to ask yourself the question, do I make people's life better? Do I make people's life better? Do I bring joy? Do I bring peace? Do I bring fun to the relationships that I'm in? Or am I a fountain of negativity and complaining? Do I make people's life better just by being around me? You see, we should make the world a better place just by our presence. But at the, at the root of this, it's not actually even about me, though, right? I don't need people to say, Megan makes my life better, except for Carrie. I need him to say that. <laughs> I don't need people to say, Megan makes my life better. The thing about salt is when you cook with salt, you, you don't even necessarily see the salt once it's cooked in, do you? It just expands and, and works silently to make whatever it is in better. It makes it better. And salt, it's no good if it's just in the salt shaker. It doesn't do anything for us. 
So I'm called to not just alleviate distress, but I'm called to make people's life better wherever I go, whether it's to the dry cleaners or to Whole Foods or a basketball game or out on a date with my husband. I'm called to make people's life better. Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, it's not always necessary to preach to everyone. It's not always necessary to debate with everyone. But the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we love life, the way that we respond to stress at work, at school, at home, listen, it should make a difference. It should make a difference. You know, Carrie and I, we play this game when we go out to eat at restaurants. We love to just visit with our servers. And, and, and so we'll get into conversations with them. And, and ultimately, we love it when they ask us, what do you do? <laughs> because we just think this is the funniest thing to have people guess what we do for a living. And so we'll just ask them, well, what do you think we do? <laughs> Because we know they're not ever going to guess this. And so they start, they start going down all the different trains of thought. And, and most of the time they say things like, you, you're in sales, aren't you? And we're like, well, in a way. And they're like, okay, how about marketing? And we're like, kind of, yeah. And, and ultimately we'll get to the fact where we'll tell them that we're pastors. And just recently somebody said, gosh, you guys are so nice. But I was thinking, I can't just be nice because I'm a pastor. I should, I should be that kind of person because I'm a, a Christ follower. That's who I am. Matthew 5 verse 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You see, Jesus said that if we lose our saltiness, it's like we should be thrown in the garbage. But how, you and I, I think we think about salt and we go, well, how would salt lose its saltiness? Because we know salt that is made out of sodium chloride and, and it's a stable compound. But in Jesus' day, salt was actually collected from the Dead Sea and it was contaminated with other minerals and impurities. And since the salt was more soluble than the impurities, rain could wash out the salt and make it unsalty. And unsalty salt was worthless. It was worthless. Do you know what the Greek word for unsalty salt is? Moreno. Now let me tell you something. Moreno is where we get the word moron. <laughs> I'm just going to let that speak for itself, okay? Someone whose thoughts and whose actions have no meaning and are just nonsense. Unsalty salt. So maybe a Christian who's become unsalty, a moron, Maybe they've just simply allowed their saltiness to get washed out by the world. And they're missing the, the very essence that is supposed to define them in the first place. You see, we're going to unpack later all of Matthew 5. But I would encourage you, if you're here and you kind of feel like, maybe I've lost some of my saltiness and, and you're trying to figure out, well, how do I get that back? I'm just going to challenge you to go and read Matthew 5 this week, specifically Start in the very beginning, read it in every translation because it's the instructions that Jesus gave of what a Christian, a Christ follower should look like. So go and read it and then go, God, how do I get this back in my life? How do I get salty again? You see, our presence is supposed to make places better. 
our homes, our neighborhoods, everything better. And the thing that we need to remember too, church, movement church, in this room, we're like a bunch of salt shakers. But we're no good if we're only sprinkling salt on each other. That, that loses the entire point, right? If the only people we ever talk to or ever connect with are people who are Christians, it's like salting salt. We don't need that, okay? So the whole point is, is that Jesus said, if you and I are going to be in the world, we need to be in the world, but not of it. So we need to be in the world, but not let it contaminate us and take away our saltiness. We're supposed to be flavoring it. In the Middle Ages, we had... We had all these different priests and monks who would shut themselves away in monasteries so that they could make sure that they stayed completely pure. And that might have worked in, in some ways, but it also caused the church to really lose influence in the everyday lives of people. You know, I used to be a cheerleader. Surprise. <laughs> I know none of you would have guessed that. And we cheered for basketball and football games. And the thing about these games that I learned is that they're not won just on a good defense. They're not won just on a good defense. You have to have a good offense to win the game. You've got to shoot some baskets and you've got to score some touchdowns. And as a church, we're not meant to just be in a defensive posture. We're not meant to just stay in a salt bowl as a bunch of salt. We've got to get on the offense. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, I will, this is Jesus talking, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the last I checked, the gates of hell are not an offensive weapon chasing us down. Gates are like the gates that are holding people in darkness, in pain, and in suffering. And the thing is, is that the gates of hell cannot prevail against a mobilized church that is sprinkling its salt and shining its light. That's what we're called to be. We've got to get on the offense. If we don't get involved, then who will? If we don't do this, who will? And at the Movement Church, we know we're called to be an influence. And there are so many ways at this church that you can use your salt. So many ways. You can jump on the dream team and be a part of a team that's actually making a difference with their life. You can be a part of our Go initiative where we're going out and making an impact in this community. Hey, guess what? You can bring your friends to church. The thing about Christianity, we're not just on the defense. It's not a behavior modification program. It's about transformation. And our relationship with Jesus should not be defined by what we're not doing. Well... I'm not getting high, I'm not sleeping around, I'm not getting drunk, great, don't do those things. <laughs> but rather, our Christianity should be defined by what we are doing. I am making a difference. I am being the salt and light. And this is why we cannot isolate from the world. We move from being the church to just doing church when we stop salting and seasoning the world that we live in. When we stop adding flavor and we stop bringing healing. And it's my job as a pastor to mobilize to gather, to equip, and to mobilize a church to bring healing and flavor to the world. So Movement Church, let's get mobilized, right? We've got something to do. We're called here to South Orange County for a reason. Let's get moving. We've got a job to do. Are you with me? Let's finish it out with this, Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Hey, do you know what the function of light is? The function of light is to expose darkness. And darkness is really nothing but the absence of light. Darkness is expelled the moment that you hit the lights on. And sometimes people are not aware of the darkness that they live in. They don't know. They, don't, they haven't seen the light. Our eyes can get used to darkness. Sometimes after being in this room on a Sunday morning, when I walk out those doors and the sun is shining, I'm like, whoa, I didn't realize how dark that room was until the lights come on. And it's the same in the world. People may not even realize how depressed, how sad, how much pain they're in, how colorless their life is until you and I come in and we reveal the love and the light and the peace of God with our light. So the question I want you to ask yourself is, does my light, does my life help people see God's goodness more clearly? Does my life, hey, listen, does your life help people see God's goodness more clearly? The function of light, one of the functions is that it serves as a guide. Lights on an airport runway, have you seen those? Lights on an airport runway, they help planes land. And the headlights on our car, they help us see where to go and, and where not to go. And if we were to try to drive in the dark, I've accidentally done this before, if we were to try to drive in the dark or, or land a plane in the dark, it would be very dangerous. And you and I are called to help be a guide to help point people in the right direction and show them where to go in the middle of the darkness. Matthew 5.15 says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And the reason Jesus used this example at that time and in this teaching was because in that day in the Palestinian homes, a lot of these homes really only had like one small window, so they could get pretty dark. They obviously did not have electricity or light bulbs. So the way that they would have light was to light a lamp. And they had this giant bowl filled with oil that had a wick in it. And when they needed light, they would light this lamp and they would place it on a stand. But the most difficult thing about lighting this was it was hard to light the wick in the middle of the bowl of oil. It was very difficult. So as a result, no one ever wanted to blow it out. But when you leave your house, you can't just leave a light burning. So they would take it and they would put it underneath like a clay pot or an earthen vessel. And they would put it there and cover it so that when they came back, it was still burning. And then they would pick it up and they'd put it back on the stand. But what Jesus is saying is no one actually does the work to light the lamp and then just put it straight under the pot. No, the whole point of that light is to let the light shine. And our light is supposed to shine all the time. Not just when we feel good. Not just when things are going our way. All the time our light is supposed to shine. And you may feel like your light is not very bright right now. In fact, if I was to turn on the flashlight, if my phone, hold please. If I was to turn it on, there. And you can kind of see that little light, but we're in a room full of lights, so... It looks like it's kind of small. It might not be very bright right now. But let me ask you to do this. Would everybody get your cell phones? 
and turn the flashlight on and then you can just set it on your lap. I don't want to see your flashlight yet. Just hold on to it. Have it ready for me. Okay, now I want you to look at this. Can we shut all the lights off? Okay. Put yours down. I don't want to see yours yet. <laughs> you see, my light on my phone here, it might be small, but you can see it. You could even probably make your way to it if necessary. You could probably figure out how to get here, and, and each of us has our own light. And the goal is not that we take our light and shine it on someone's face and blind them. It's not that we point out all their flaws, but the point of our light is to guide. It's to point people to Jesus, to show them the way. So let me ask you a question, and, and you're going to answer by lifting up your phone with the light, okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have struggled with depression? How many of you have struggled with anxiety? How many of you have ever been through a financial crisis? How many of you have ever just had a, such a challenging time in your marriage? How many of you have ever felt stuck in waiting? How many of you have ever been worried for a grown and adult child? How many of you have ever just felt like giving up and throwing in the towel? Now let me ask you another question. How many of you in this room have seen God pull through in a miraculous way? How many of you in this room have experienced healing in your heart or in your body? How many of you have experienced God's miraculous provision? Nothing you could do, but he did it. Hey, listen, how many of you have seen the goodness of God in your life? Now keep those lights up. This is what a mobilized church looks like. This is what a mobilized church looks like. We are not perfect people, and we don't have perfect stories. Keep your light up for me. But what a mobilized church looks like is it looks like men and women and teenagers and kids who are willing to shine the light of God's goodness in a dark world that is desperately in need of hope. And listen, light is meant to be seen. It's meant to be seen. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. We need to be a light at all times. And light shines not so much that people can see us, but so that they can see other things because of the light. So that we can help guide and point people to the light of Jesus. You can go ahead and turn the lights back on and, and turn your cell phones off. <laughs> Does this make sense? You see, sometimes we think that we're not qualified. Sometimes we think that, that our story, it's just... We're walking through our own crisis and our own pain, and how are we supposed to be the light for others? But here's the thing. Every one of you lifted your hands because in your life, you can look back and see where you have seen the goodness of God. And it's that light that shines inside of you that points people towards Jesus. Listen, this is why we're here. This is why we're still breathing. Otherwise, we would all just immediately die and go to heaven when we become a Christ follower. But no, God has us here on this earth because we are supposed to be an influence. We're supposed to be the salt and the light. The salt that alleviates someone's distress. The salt that brings out the flavor in our world that makes people's life better. The light that points people to the goodness of God, 
that says, I don't have it perfect. I struggle just like you, but let me just point you in the direction of the one person who has never let me down. This is who we're called to be. And this is God's plan for the church. This message was the most important message ever taught. And Jesus was saying, you as a Christ follower, you're called to be an influence. The church is God's plan A and he does not have a plan B. And we're supposed to be salt and light. We're not supposed to just come to church. We're supposed to be the church. And that's going to take every single one of us, every single one of us shining our own light in our own lives. Because I can't influence the people that you can influence. And you may not be able to influence the people that I can influence. But together, a mobilized church, shining our light, pointing people to Jesus, we can change the world. So Movement Church, I just want to challenge you. Let's be the church that God's called us to be. A church that salt bays people's life with our presence. A church that shines the light and points people towards Jesus. We should be the kind of church that is always inviting people. My friend Megan back here, every time that I talk to a new visitor at our church, it seems like she's the one that's invited them because she's on a mission to shine her light, to shine her light. This should be the story of all of our lives. Let's live up to the name of the movement church. Let's get moving. <laughs> Let's get moving. Let's be the salt and the light. And maybe you're here and, and like I introduced in the beginning of this message, you find yourself kind of like the crowds that surrounded Jesus. And they were listening and leaning in, just checking out what this was gonna be. What does it look like to be a Christ follower? Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you made a decision a long time ago, but to be honest, things happened and you got hurt or offended, angry. Maybe you just drifted, lost a little bit of your saltiness and you've been running in the opposite direction. And I just believe today's the day to come back. We don't ever have a church service where we don't give you the opportunities to say yes to following Jesus. And I just want to challenge you, if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, there's something inside of you that knows that you need this. But some of you have come in with a picture of God thinking that, that he's like shining this giant spotlight right in your face on all your flaws. And some of you feel so disqualified. And even to talk about following Jesus, you, you feel so unworthy. But the light of Jesus, it doesn't illuminate your flaws or your mistakes. The light of Jesus illuminates grace. The grace of God. And grace is unmerited favor. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There is nothing you can do to earn the grace of God. It is the free gift of God that he gave to us by his son Jesus who crawled up on a cross and gave his life for you and for me to be the ultimate sacrifice for our mistakes, our flaws, our failures. Jesus said, I'll, I'll, pay, the, I'll pay the price because I love you in spite of it. And I just want to say, if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I believe today's your day. And I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat or even pray out loud, but quietly in your own heart and in your own mind, I'm just going to ask you to, to repeat after me and, and pray a prayer 
that says, God, I, I surrender. So can I ask everyone in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'm gonna pray, and as I pray, if that's you, and you need to make a decision today to surrender your life to Jesus, to stop trying to live on your own, but just to say, I'm choosing to follow him. Whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me in your own heart and in your own mind. Say this, dear God, I'm sorry that I've tried to live this life on my own. I know that I've messed up. I know that I'm not perfect. And I'm so grateful for your grace. I'm so grateful that you love me. In spite of my flaws and my failures, I'm so grateful that you love me. And today I'm making a decision to follow you. And all around this room, if that's you, let these words be the cry of your heart. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, thank you that you chose us. God, thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. God, would you help us to be the kind of people that salt bay the lives of those around us, that shine the light of your goodness for others to see. God, remind us as we go about this week in our homes and in our neighborhoods and at our places where we work or our schools, God, remind us this week how we can be that kind of person. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.